I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. What's happening, guys? This is It's All Blackademic. I'm your host, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, and thank you very much for watching another one of our shows. Um, just before we get into this week's discussion, a reminder and a signposting if you haven't already signed up to our free, it's free free membership on our website blackademic.com plenty of content previous shows articles podcasts all that niceness and goodness is on there if you're watching this on our youtube channel follow us and subscribe on our youtube channel here as well okay so this week on the show we have a discussion about uh, women's football and the lack of representation of black women in particular within the women's game um, i think it's something that has slowly been um, an issue creeping up on many people's consciousness um, and they look at the men's game and there's big issues of representation across that uh, particular part of football I think it's 10 times worse in the women's game so I've got four ladies that work in football and sports uh, to have this discussion with me here today I'm joined by sports broadcaster Anne-Marie Batson hello Anne-Marie hello Jordan thanks for coming on I've also got here Anita Abayomi here as a host of the all female football podcast Gold Diggers how are you I'm good thank you Good, good, good. I've also got on the, my far right here, Michelle Moore, development consultant specialising in women's sports. How are you? Good. Oh, you're a regular now. You're like your season regular. I know. Love it. Love it. <laughs> and finally, I'm joined for the first time on the, on the show here, Felicia Pennant, who edits the fanzine platform Season Zine. How are you? I'm good. Well? How are you? I'm very well, thank you very much. Um, ladies, just joining me on the show uh, this week. Let me kick off by, if I'll, I'll throw it out there. Whoever wants to jump in first, jump in. What is it like being a black woman working in women's football? We'll get to uh, the lack of representation and the reasons why that is and why that matters. But first of all, just talk to me through what it's like working in this particular space. Who wants to go first? Anya, you go first. Oh, I was going to go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's daunting. Um, for me personally, um, I work more with men's football and then going into women's football as well. It's just a bit daunting because... You said we're going to go into representation later, but you can't talk. I can't talk about Let's my experience. No, yeah, like there's just no representation, and then it's just like I feel like I'm a sore thumb out of like a bunch of people. You know, like I feel like I stick out like a sore thumb, and it's. It, I don't know. It's kind of depressing for me at the moment, mm. but I feel like I got a bit too deep, a bit too early. No, but, no, no, you know? no, just, no, not at all. Not at all. So just a quick review. You do, as far as I'm aware, the only all-female football podcast. Yeah. Why did you decide to set up your podcast and why did you, was it conscious to make it all, all female? 
Yeah, literally. Um, it's not just all female. It's only for ethnic minorities as well. Like, okay. I, I don't want to exclude anyone, but it's only for ethnic minorities. And that's because there's a lack of us in the industry. And if I can do whatever I can to get more women into football, more women into women's football, into men's football, if I can do it by creating this platform where they feel safe or where they can just come and, you know, learn more about football, learn more about the game... I want to be the person to do it, you know? Like, I'm happy to to put all my finances into it so I can see more representation in a woman's game, like, in, like, 20 years' time. If I have a, a little bit to do with it, I'm going to be happy with myself in 20 years. So that's why I created Gold Diggers. Then you need to drill down it a bit further about what area of women's football people work in. So, for example, yes. with the broadcast section... I think it, it's moved a lot further forward than I think it than a lot of people think. The written side of it, though, mm -hmm. there's a distinct lack mm -hmm. of representation in terms of podcasting. I would say there is still a distinct lack of representation. So I think, and then the online side, I can't really speak of because I don't work in that space. Maybe that's something that Felicia can talk about. But I think definitely the broadcast where I predominantly work, you've seen a lot more faces now and you're slightly conscious I've been slightly conscious of coming into it a little bit later than some other people and I think I've had to build some credibility and build relationships around that because there's people that have been working in women's football far longer than what I have and I'm very conscious I don't want to tread on their toes but I also want to add my views and thoughts and opinions within the game and be part of that collective as well so when I came into it I was very conscious of my colour that was the first thing the second thing is being conscious that there are women who've been working it far longer than mm. me but have built relationships with those women because they've been a source of knowledge and information for me and I've built friendships around that as well so I think that's great but we're all very conscious particularly on the written side of things that's you know mm. that is still in the dark ages as far as I'm see concerned see it though when like you when people are talking about like flare-ups and unfortunately I just feel like I get your point about people being really experienced and like obviously having that knowledge, but I just feel like there's a distinct lack of knowing when to pass the mic. Like when, you know, yes, you as the more experienced person can frame the, the article, frame the topic, but knowing, I think that's what I think is a big problem about it at the moment in maybe the more written side, or even some of the like, um, I guess, organisations that are kind of trying to bring people up. It still sometimes just feels like you're talking about black women, but there are no black women, like there's no black women actually speaking. It's a white person speaking about black women. And there are black women that you can find and, and speak to about it. I mean, going back to Manita's point about creating a space um, for black women in football, I mean, that, I mean, that's a big part of why I started season. And I started that in um, 2016 when I was 24. And now there is that sense of, gosh, not, I'm not old by any means, but it does feel like, you know, a new generation is coming in and like people like Amory that you see and you can see like more women kind of trying to get their points across and being or getting those opportunities a bit more now I guess over the past year because it's been kind of forced onto people to do I don't know that everyone's doing it of their own free will um but it's still I guess a bit of a minefield a minefield um navigating through and I guess it's just I just think the biggest thing is like all of us have 
I think for the most part, tried to do things off our own steam. And then when you mm. start doing it off your own steam, then people suddenly realize, oh, actually there is a black woman that can speak about it and let's bring you into the fold. Let's get you on BBC. Let's get you on TalkSport where there's, it just sometimes seems like there are white women that can leave uni and, and walk into a trainee role or a role like that and kind of come through the establishment that way. It just seems like we have to prove ourselves independently first um, and struggle in that way. I mean, yes, and completely being independent obviously means you have the freedom to do that and you can choose who you work with and what you want to promote. But there's also, you know, the stress that comes with that, the financial mm-hmm. um, burden that comes with that. But I think that a lot of black women that you see in football that are visible have all put in all of those resources of that time, of that energy, and it's not always easy. So Michelle, let me just ask you, I know that you work across various sports, football being one of them. Just want to get your personal account of what it is like working in football, in particular as a black woman who also works across other sports. And this is our national national game. It's our biggest sport by a mile. What is your perspective of working in this industry, especially in comparison to maybe other industries? Is it better or worse? And does that matter? I think it's actually worse because women's sport is just such a white space uh, across the piece. So, you know, on the field of play, right through to the administration and the senior governance and the leadership of, the, of, women, of women's football. So as, a, as somebody who kind of works as a, an ad, if you like, as a consultant and also as a leadership coach for, to people working in the industry, what I find is when I go to events or any kind of awards evening, it's a very white space. And um, I, I remember having really kind of challenging questions with some of the leaders of these, uh, of the, uh, the organisers of some events. And I said, you know, there are, there are black and mixed women who could be a part of this event, who, who can actually be invited. And they said, oh, we, we invited such and such, we invited such and such. So it's the same black and mixed women each time. And it's just, it was just such a small thing, but it was such a mighty thing because actually that's how women's sport works. It's, it's the whiteness that is a part of it. it they don't even realise that they're excluding. And if you're not a part of that group, then actually you're not a part of the dialogue in any kind of meaningful way. And so when you say comparing it to other sports, my, my experience is that football is just kind of, uh, it, it makes up its, its own rules. So the, the other kind of sports that I work within, you have like the sports governance code, for example, that Sport England and UK Sport brought out a few years ago, which actually told, made, the national governing bodies of sport increase the representation in terms of gender. They identified gender as the diversity target to improve gender diversity by 30% on sports governing boards. They didn't include race within that. They didn't include disability. They didn't have any other understanding of, of you know, the intersections mm. of any of those uh, identities, but they singled out gender. And what that did is that then held those sp- governing bodies to account to that statistic. But f- football somehow was just almost could just, or, it, yeah, could, uh, could exist outside mm. of that. Um, so what, what, came out as 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 an outcome of that is that that target benefited white women, didn't benefit black women. You had um, Heather Rabatz, who's the first woman of uh, colour to be on the FA board as a, as a, you know, as a director. She came out in the Daily Telegraph and said quite clearly, this 
this benefits white women, this does not benefit black women. And when you have organisations that are in, in receipt of the public purse, mm -hmm. actually ethnic diversity and race needs to be a key part of their targets. So, you know, for me, football kind of stands outside of what, what other sports are doing and, and, and how they're being held to account. So I want to get to representation off the pitch in, in just a moment. But if we start on the pitch, because a lot of the research that I was doing was looking at on the pitch. So I started looking at the men's England team, as an example, was bare black man in the England team, Rashford, <laughs> Sterling, Sancho, Reece Davis, business, biz, half the squad are of a black or mixed race. Yeah. I then look at the women's England team, and I've just got a couple of names here, regulars, Paris and Stokes are the only two regular players in the team. And in the last squad, I think even Stokes wasn't even in that, in that squad. What, what's going wrong there? So I want you guys to educate me and our viewers. Is there a case of, I'm saying this because I think it's, it's, I just have, to, just have to ask a question, less black girls are playing football. Is it an access problem? Are they just not good enough? Are the white girls better? What is the reason why on the pitch we're seeing significantly less black women than, than white women? And even across the top teams, I did a, I did a count yeah. at WSL. I got Stokes, Spence, Asante, James, Spencer, uh, Drew Spence uh, play for England, who now is playing for Jamaica, interestingly enough. Mm -hmm. um, there's only a couple of handfuls of of, of black women playing for the top teams in the W in the Women's Super League. Why is that? I think it's quite complex. Um, I mean, I'm not so, I don't, I'm just appalling at sports. So you'd never actually catch me like playing football. <laughs> but the main thing when I think of like on the pitch, the main thing that comes to mind like as a black woman is just what happened to Ennio Luko. Um, and I think that that was, you know, that's a couple of years ago now, but the fact that she, um, you know, the manager was racist to her and the outcome of that and how her teammates didn't back her, including the other women of colour there, just showed you, I mean, I guess it's something that you, know, you see in reality TV every year, like, you know, you know, as a black woman, you're going to be portrayed in a certain way and you won't be backed by anyone kind of around you. And it, it, it just felt a bit like that, like when, you know, she was in court stating her case and just watching that outcome and, you know, for me, watching that, I'm like, well, if I was inclined to play football after seeing that, why on earth would I ever put myself in that position, knowing that if something like that did happen and we know, regardless of any reports, that there is racism mm. in Britain, um, you know, I'm not going to get the support that I need. I actually might, my feelings might be dismissed and I actually might be gaslighted. So why would I put myself in that position? Now, that is from my standpoint and, and what I do. I can't speak for like people that are thinking, oh, maybe I want to go professional. But for me, like that being in any space, I mean, it, it makes me more cautious and more careful even now when you're navigating things and like when you're looking at the England team, because they didn't back her and they were named and shamed in a book and still haven't, you know, apologised. So, so what, what are the rationales that you think as to why there are significantly less black women playing in the, the top end of women's football. I think she's right. It's very complicated because it's very, and I think, again, it's drilling down into the different areas. So definitely the Ennio Luco situation, I think, has played a massive part. I think the reduction in, in the, the national talent regional centres, which used to draw a lot of the, the regional talent in from the community, they got cut right back. And there are various reasons, which I don't entirely buy why that happened. So I think that's the another reason. I also think... So sorry, for the people that don't follow women's football, explain yeah. why, why that would diminish. So there was about... So up until about maybe 10, maybe 15 years ago, there were national talent centres 
around the country, around about 50 of them, some of them quite based in, in London and, and around the rest of England and the UK. And then they got cut down to 30. Now, from what I understand, it's because there wasn't enough coming through the door to justify having this number of 50 or 52 centres. So they cut them back to about 30 at a time when, let's be honest, women's football wasn't really on a lot of people's radar. It would have been around the time of the Hope Powells of this world mm -hmm. and the Rachel Yankees of this world. Over the last five to 10 years, things have started to progress more. There's mm -hmm. been a lot more eyes on it, except that the regional talent centres got cut down to around about 25 to 30. And a lot of them went out to rural areas. And if you take that accessibility away, particularly from low income families who live within inner city areas of, uh, I don't like the word, but I will use it, urban areas, you're cutting away opportunity straight away. And therefore, the scouting system that was in place has been, has been removed. That avenue of opportunity has been removed. So that means there's not so much eye scouting anymore. So that is definitely a reason, I think, that there hasn't been many young girls coming through the door. I think another reason is the WSL itself, as you rightly pointed out. You know, you've got Lauren James, who's doing brilliantly at Manchester United Women. Um, she identifies a potential lioness, but that means that's still not enough going through the door. So you have to look at the teams within the WSL and the championship as well and the national leagues. From a personal perspective, I know when I turned 13, 14, boys came into the picture for me and sport went out the window. <laughs> Right? So I blame you men, basically, <laughs> for my path in life. Well, it took seven minutes for yeah. to get to man bashing. Wow. So, Go for it, Amber. But the fact is, it did. It, it kind of, and, and now I, I was foolish, I was young. What did I know at that time? But, you know, if you think about young teenage girls now, they've got a lot more things going on in their lives than I did a few years ago. Social media and friendships and things like that. Sport potentially could be the last thing on their minds. And also, you look at the school in terms of taking part in sport. We know that there are. Gone. So, sorry, so why does that differ? Explain what differs for white girls then. I think it's. Um, I, think I don't think it necessarily is different. There's just less girls generally. Just being, less yeah, girls generally, which yeah. breaks my heart because sport is such a fantastic thing. Okay. And I think what also feeds into that is the selling off of school playing fields as well. The lack mm. of facilities in the local areas that have been sold off thanks to this Tory government, sorry, I'm gonna say it, and various other governments, they've sold off school, school pitches for housing development. And I'm all for somebody needing, you know, we need more houses in there, but I don't think you should cut off one to save something else. Mm -hmm. And I think the lack of facilities as well within areas within England I think has also played a massive part. And there's not really a decent scouting system, I would say, within the women's game as well. I went to an all-girls school mm -hmm. and we were literally pushed into doing rounders, we were pushed into doing tennis. Yeah. Like, when I used to speak about football in my secondary school, it was more like, okay, you guys go play in the gym if you want. How the hell am I supposed to play football in a gym? Mm -hmm. it, it didn't make any sense. So it was never actually pushed towards, you know, playing football. It was more like rounders, tennis, um, badminton, that type of thing. And when I did go to, I did used to go to one of these sporting centers. I used to go to the David Beckham Academy. Where the hell's that gone? Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Where is that gone? Yeah. I used to get yeah. like medals. I got yeah. my medals from yeah. David Beckham Academy. They're yeah. like, you're gonna be a superstar. I'm so sure of it. And I was gassed. Like I was like, yeah, I'm gonna be the first female footballer. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I was young. Like, I was 11. I was just, I was believing in this dream. I get to secondary school, like you said. 
boys do come into the picture but if the school's not promoting sports as per se and it's just saying stick to rounders or stick to badminton then you don't really have a choice you know I agree with you my school <laughs> I said I'm not <laughs> I wasn't good at sports but we did I did did stick me in goal because I was tall and we did play like <laughs> girls football and thought, I mean I'm not that ball now that it's being proven how heavy the balls are and how they can affect your health I mean I ducked anyway but now there's more reason to duck um, but I would say we were definitely in the, the sports that we could do you could do football I mean when you were a bit older but it was mainly hockey netball I did go to a boarding school, by the way, let me just prefix that. And we had the fields, there were the facilities to do it, but football was a, mainly a boys thing. I'm not sure if it's the same now, because it's been a little while since I was there, but I think there's that. I also think when it comes to black women, um, maybe it's a cultural thing as well. And maybe it's, a you know, like there is one thing playing and like, you know, doing athletics and doing sport um, as like a, you know, for health and for mental health and for a recreational hobby thing. But then if it's a different conversation, like with your parents and your family are saying, I want to do sport professionally. Um, and so obviously there are clearly like women that black women that have excelled in this space. And I think they've also had the support of their family. And sometimes there are other women that have obviously overcome the odds and obviously converted their, their families around but I will say culturally I mean it, it definitely I think the people around in your family like if you've had sports people in your family if you've you know if your you know your family value these moments if your family are into football already maybe that conversation is a little bit easier or maybe you have different battles to fight like I, I think it's a it's a part I think it's so personal um married in with everything else that we've said there are quite a lot of factors that come into the yeah thinking. it's a really good point there mm. that one of the bits of research that's come out that's not so widely known is that one of the most biggest impacts on a, a young girl's participation in sport is the mother's relationship to sport and actually if your mum is sporty you're more likely to okay. be sporty but just kind of backing up what you're saying there Felicia it is to do with the social cultural religious and economic barriers that black women and black girls specifically face so that affects their participation level in sport per say so that means that black girls are twice as likely to drop out as white girls and black girls are overrepresented in in basketball in dance and in um in track and field athletics and underrepresented in in all other sports so when you start to unpick um, it it's to do with the structural inequalities that also exist so if you're black and asian uh, a young person you're more likely to live in uh, in, a, in an inner city area you're more likely to live in a deprived postcode and therefore the structural inequalities that go with that affect your access and opportunity to sport and physical activity okay. so when you overlay all of that together it's not uh, it's not a, any kind of mystery as to why you know there isn't that kind of pathway from grassroots that filters up into the national squad so we know that exactly what you were saying Anne-Marie about this drive to professionalise the women's game, this acceleration that all of the administrators did and all this, the leaders within women's football decided to do meant that it came at a cost of inclusion so let's now just close all of the 52 um, talent centres out there where a lot of our black young women were 
at that at that level. And then let's you know let's make it down, take it down to thirty. And so that young woman that lives in um, South London now has to get herself to to Staffordshire. If you if you for the, she's never going to go. Um, you know if you and you start to really unpick it, the economic barriers are so significant. And when you think about um, our opportunities and our access, those are the serious fault lines within women's football. To, to that point, I didn't realise actually that all the London clubs aren't in London in the women's game. They're all outside of London. So Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham yeah. is in Barnet. It's hard to get to. Touching on like the parent aspects and like the family things and stuff. So from my own personal experience, right, my mum and dad didn't want me to get into football at all. No matter how good I was at football, they said no. Nah. But when I spoke about tennis, they were like, yeah, you can do tennis, but that's because Serena Williams is in the game. Mm. That's because there's representation that's in that interesting. game. So there was yeah. someone that people could look to and be like, oh, yeah. that black woman did it. So yeah. go on then, you can exactly. give it a go. Exactly, and successful and, and, and economically successful. Like, so I do think it's about like, I need from my experience, like your just parents don't want you to struggle. Like, Yes. They did, and yeah. for them, it me if it's a sport that provides you that security, but the status and the money, and but like you're being rewarded for your hard work and the sacrifices that you're making. But but is it also more the fact that it's sorry to cut you? I'll let you f finish. But is it not even pre Serena Williams? The women's tennis is probably the only game I can think of where the women's and the men's game has always been pretty kind of on some kind of a par in the way that other sports aren't. So even without Serena Williams, would your parents have been quite comfortable with you going into tennis it, because they're seeing the women's game That's the thrive. problem. The problem is, if Serena Williams wasn't there, my parents would not have looked twice okay. at tennis. No matter so how it was purely equal, her. That, yes, okay, no matter okay. how equal the game is, the game is never equal <coughs> for a black woman. It's mm -hmm. never equal for a black. You've got to work that ten times harder. And until there's proof in like my African household, until there's proof that someone can be successful <laughs> in that environment, it ain't gonna happen. Like I mean, that's not okay. happening. Mm -hmm. So like now, like my little cousins, my little my little um, siblings, my mum and dad are like, you can be like Enyo Loluco. I'm looking at them like, <laughs> 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 like I could have been like her. It's, <laughs> name or that person that they can say like okay I can see how you can be successful I can see that you can reach that level like I think this is what we're talking about representation like I do think there's that like if you can be it if you can see it you can be it um for parents maybe more than you actually do it, hit the person who's actually doing it so well, some of you mentioned any any name a few times now do do, do we see any as that significant figure for black girls on a par with Serena Williams in terms of being, oh, well, any did it, she's black, she's female, she's dark skin. Is she, do, do, some of you guys know her as well. Do you think she realizes how big a role she played in showing other girls, other black girls, that you can be the thing as well? I think she does. I think she has become this real inspirational agent for change. Any has, really taken on the FA and all of the, her critics and, and stood up in her truth and, and being uncompromising in that and saying this racism that I experienced, you know, alongside Drew Spence and Leanne Sanderson is not acceptable. And in doing that, she really showed us that, you know, you can take them on and in some respects you can have a win. But to this day, mm. we haven't really seen 
the the real reckoning of that of what that's come at. Yeah, it comes at a, a big cost. Yeah. She never played for England again. The, the the reality is is there have been other high profile situations. You know, with what happened with Renee Hector as well. And when you start to look at this, the reason why she takes on such a an inspirational kind of identity is because we share in that the, her, those experiences of oppression. We can see what she's gone through so publicly. She was in the headlines for a year, you know, and it was front page news. And so she, she represents something very significant to us as black women. And not many black women can do that. Not many black women would choose to do that if they were in that position. And mm -hmm. you can't expect them to either as well. There's a, real, there's a real tension there with the responsibility that comes with being a role model um, in all kinds of ways. And so she has become this real inspirational agent for change in, in all kinds of ways. Yeah, because she was like, you know, the first female pundit match of the day. I think that's huge. And the fact that she is dark skinned, because I do think colorism also plays a role um, when we talk about representation in women's football, like the, the players that you're mentioning in England are all mixed race, and there were no, like any was that dark skinned player for such a long time. But she was, you know, she was the record goal scorer in her time. And then, then when you see like you know the last women's World Cup, for me watching it, I was like, so why has she been erased? from England's recent history. Like, why is she not spoken about the way that she should be if it was any other, the way that Wayne Rooney or other, you know, men's players are spoken about if they've, like, you know, if they've set records? Like, why was she, it felt like she was erased, if I'm honest, with all the, like, you know, and actually that England team did better than this England team, if we're honest. They got a bronze medal um, at a time when there was way less investment, way less sponsorship, way less visibility. So when it comes to the money element, I'll bring you in, Amory here. Is it a coincidence that as... I have no money, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come to you, Michelle. Is it a coincidence that as more money is being ploughed into the mm. women's game, yeah. this is mega Barclays deal, we're seeing less black women in it? Is that just a coincidence oh, or goodness. Is, there, is there something to unpick that's there? Oh, that's a really good question. It's a tough one to answer as well, because if I knew the answer, I'd be a very rich woman, to be honest. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know mm. if it's more money that you'd see. Because I'm just seeing the last six months, you know, ex-sponsor, record investment in the women's game, and that's all great. I think that's a really good thing. But I'm just, I was doing my notes last night, thinking about it a minute. Why is it that I'm seeing less Enya Lucos in, in the game and there's more, there's, people are getting paid more clearly in the women's game? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I was going to say, all right, so if there's, there is more money coming to the game, what I'd like to see is more regional talent centres being rebuilt. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. And, and that's it for me. I know that the FA has done a couple of things to try and encourage more black girls to get involved in the game and Asian girls as well. I think they've, they've set up some sort of um, programme linking in with the EFL Trust so they will have local scouts on the ground that belong that are within the EFL, the English Football League, that can identify potential um, candidates that you like that could go through the elite pathway to become a future lioness or play in the WSL or the championship. Mm. What bothers me, maybe I'm going off slightly tangent, is time. I think it takes too long sometimes for these things to get off the ground. And we don't have the luxury of time anymore because if you think about it, the last World Cup, as Felicia's mentioned... You only had Demi Stokes and Nikita Paris. And probably those two in the previous World Cup when it was in Canada, before that, you had Rachel Yankee, Alex Scott, Leanne Sanderson, Enya Luko, Drew Spence, Danny Carter, and probably two or three more that have probably um, played within that team. It has been a gradual phasing out of it. So why is it only now that we've got eyes on it? Why was this not spotted two, three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. And that's what I'd like an answer to. So why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why is it important that we, we stop that phasing out and reverse it and we get more and more women in? Why, why is that important? That's to, to anyone that wants to jump in. Because I want to try and get across to our viewers. We've, we've articulated the problem. Yeah. Why, why should it, why should, sounds a bit crass, but why should anybody care? Why is it important that we have more black women in, in, in women's football? That lack of representation means that it just asphyxiates any kind of aspiration for black women, black girls to participate or to think that they can get to a level of being a sporting director at a football club. It means that if, we, if they don't see it, they actually don't believe that it can be, it's possible. And so it's integral because actually black women in in across society and not in enough leadership positions and sport has it can be a gift in all kinds of ways to hold up a lens to these inequalities but also provide opportunities to actually for black women to be in those spaces and so i think we need to diversify all of the ways in which sport the football is organized and so that doesn't have to take a long time that does it really doesn't you know because what it needs is white people to give up or just share some of their power but they're not interested in that they're not they're not interested in doing that and so what happens is we have spaces where we take on a self-determinist attitude don't we we kind of look at the teachings of Marcus Garvey and we think well what can we do we can set up our own collectives seasons in you know gold diggers everything that goes with empowering ourselves to enable us to thrive within this oppressive environment so on that point let me ask um, Unita and Felicia 
how do you feel about having to set up your own thing? Do you feel a little bit of resentment that you've have to, had to do this in order to kind of have your voice, be visible? Is, is there an element of, well, why did I have to put my own money and my own time into having a presence in this industry whereas other people haven't had to do that? For me, because I actually did, when I did my NCTJ, I did do a sports journalism module. I actually did it with Jeanette Kwachi, that's how I met her. And I went and interned um, at Talk Sport, which I listen to every day. I really, I really like it now that it's a, a lot more um, diverse and there are, there's way more representation. But back in the day, just being in that environment, I was like, gosh, there's only one woman here, and I, I'm the only black person here. And and I, I walked in, and that's how I felt. And don't get me wrong, this is almost ten years ago now. But looking around, I was just felt, God, I don't want to be in this environment because you're already, I guess you're fighting every morning, like. And like, you know, everyone knows, like as a black person, you're told that you have to work 10, 20, 50% harder. But then as a woman in a football space, which is a male space, it's just even more crushing. And I just felt that obviously I engage with it. I'm obsessed with Chelsea and all of those things. But I also felt that, well, if I want to communicate um, how my opinion and also empower and platform other women of colour and other modernised communities that aren't represented in this establishment, um, I felt like it was worth doing it. And I don't feel resentful about that. I felt that it was, the idea was so that we could feel comfortable in that space also, because it's not always comfortable. Um, and things like like the football blacklist, like going into that room and I was like... It's beautiful. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh my God. And then, I re <laughs> then you realise that it's because... A lot of the time, we're usually one off, but when you put all of the one offs together in one room, there's it's actually so many. <laughs> yeah. And that was really eye opening for me. So I, I just feel like having to do it by myself, it meant that I could do it on my own terms. It's definitely, you know, difficult and not for everyone. And, you know, it's, I mean, you know, the cracks are getting, you know, a bit wider for people. I think there are people are trying to hire in a more representative way. It's taking time. That's the other thing. I think it's also time is that you can see that steps are being taken. But, we're, you know, there is... I do feel like as a woman in, like, this kind of environment, there is, like, an age limit on you unless you're an exception. And, like, you feel like, you know, your 20s is sometimes where, like, you know, this is where you kind of break in and then, or, like, maybe your early 30s. And, like, if you are a bit, sometimes, like, we're singing, if you're a bit older, you've kind of missed that cutoff. And, like, yes, they want a black person, but it's a younger one. It won't, wouldn't be you, even though you're experienced. So I do think that's also another thing in doing your own thing. It's like, well, I'm young, I'm hungry, I have the time, dedication, happy to put my own, you know, <laughs> disposable wealth in it because this is the right time and this is the right alignment, all the, the stars have aligned for me to do that. But it's it's not in the wide industry, but that shouldn't stop me from doing it. That's kind of how I saw it. So same question to you. Do, do, you know, how hard has it been trying to get a footprint in this industry off your own back, spending your own money, your own time in a way that you might see other you know, your white counterparts, not having to have done the work that you're doing off your own back, but yet yeah. where you are, if not further ahead? Um, I don't know. I, I like to tell people that it's been difficult. And don't get me wrong, it has been difficult and it has been daunting. But at the same time, like just listening to what Felicia just said now, and then I'm looking at Anne-Marie and then I'm, I'm just thinking representations right here you know like there's actually loads of representation and I'm missing out on the fact that there's that much representation so when I made gold diggers two years ago I was 22 
and I was looking around like there's not a lot of representation around me. Mm. But then the more I got into the industry, I started seeing like there's people out there that genuinely want to help you get into the industry. So I did, there's black women, there's black men. And I always, I always name drop this woman because she literally pushed me into the industry and it's, it's Jess Creighton. So I look at Jess Creighton and I look at her as, wow, like I want to be like you, you know, like I'm seeing you on my TV screen. You're the reason why my dad's let me put the money in this, you know, my dad's seeing you on TV and saying, right, you can be like, that. You can talk to that camera and tell oh. Jess to personally. You're the reason. <laughs> you, you're the reason. Like real talk, like she's actually the reason. Like my dad will look at her on Sky Sports, be like, "Wow, I want you to be in that position someday." And I'll look at my dad like, "I don't think I can be a journalist, but I would like to be as important as she is." To the industry yeah, in I can fashion. contribute to the industry in that in that sense. Very and important. It's really important to have that representation. And of course, like making gold diggers off my own back, spending my own money. Listen, I made gold diggers when I came out of uni. I was broke. Mm. Like I was broke as hell, paying for studio sessions, gathering girls around to like contribute, even though, you know, everyone's pocket is tight at the moment. But you thought it was important. But it was so important to do it. And there was not one day where I thought like, I need to stop doing this, like it's hurting my pocket. Like that was never the issue. The issues would be like, oh, these girls are so catty, man. I don't want to do it no more with them. Like that would be the issue, but it will never be something like, I can't afford to do this anymore. Cause I know that what I'm doing is contributing to representation in this, in this industry that I love so much. So if I've got a sacrifice for my younger cousins to get through to the industry a lot smoother, Calm. Exactly. So yeah, I'm quite proud of what I've done. If I'm being honest, you should be. You should be. Um, just last couple. First one. Um, I often discuss, or I'm on panels, or hosting issues, and Marie as well around racism in football, and it's normally always men. It's normally <laughs> men. So I've got four women here. Um, we are a few weeks after a few weeks after the social media blackout that happened um, across uh, most of football and a few other sports took part in it as well. Just briefly, ladies, what were your views on that? Do you think it was something that was stepping in the right direction? Or did you think it was a lot of aesthetic and a lot of posturing, but it, wasn't, it won't and hasn't dealt with the problem? Start with you, Marie. It was never going to deal with the problem outright. Facts. Mm. Facts. Anybody Can it deal with the problem? Or? <laughs> it's one step forward in terms of um, highlighting the issue, but the, the issue of racism on social media goes a lot, lot, lot deeper, a lot deeper. And I think what was heartening for me was seeing other sports getting involved in it, that it wasn't just football. You saw that tennis, rugby, cricket, they all got involved with the, the boycott, which I thought was quite heartening. Um, I did the boycott because I wanted to support it, but I'm not naive to think that it was going to solve the whole issue entirely. What I would have liked to have seen is, well, I think the next step actually is getting sponsors involved. If you've got Adidas or Nike or somebody of that level to get involved into in the boycott, going for the pocket, going for the cash, yeah. going for the bag, yeah. as they say, as the young people say nowadays. in the money and I think that would have been a real statement a proper proper heavy hitting statement just briefly um, I I, um, I took part in the in the boycott by default mm. because I didn't want to so I don't believe in it I really don't believe in it at all I think we know what the solution is we're just kind of baby stepping our way to the, the, the we're wasting time but the reason why I did I did not tweet or post during the blackout was because even though I don't believe in it 
I thought it would be quite churlish of me to to actively seemingly go against it. Yeah. And I thought, I don't believe in this at all, but I don't have to tweet for four days. It's not a big deal for me. So I kind of did it mm. by default. You're mm in there, so you don't agree. No, I'm mm in that. I was so torn about it, but I read like reading all the different statements that people put out, like, we know this isn't gonna solve it, but we're standing in solidarity. And I was like, standing in solidarity with what? Like for me personally, uh, isn't that just that's the line that was trotted out every single time something racist happens to something. We're, we stand the people that aren't that it didn't happen to were standing in solidarity and it's just it just felt a bit like it's, I felt like the whole thing was an empty gesture, to be honest. I felt like, I agree with you in the sense that it felt like, almost like peer pressured, like even if you didn't agree with it, to be that one that was continuing, um, you know, because we're in this kind of council culture, like are people gonna jump on you? That, 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 that was a concern for sure, but it was more, I just thought as someone that works in this industry, if, if I tweet at a time when people naively believe this is a, this is a way in the right direction, it would make, it would look good on me. I mean, and I thought, I don't have yeah. to tweet for four days. It's not something I, I have to do. But I felt like, I also, I've spoke about this for different people. And it's like, well, as a black person, like, like it, Really, I feel like that the whole thing should have been like what sits comfortable with you and your conscience. And for me, I just kind of felt like, you aren't attacking the root of the problem. It's like everyone who, like the people that know, they know what they need to do to end racism and it's not happening because it's about power. And we've already spoken about how people don't want to give up power. So the status quo won't change, but it felt like, oh, we suddenly got someone to unite and blame that isn't us. And it's like, you know what UEFA's doing, you know what FIFA's doing, you know what football clubs are doing, you know what, oh, zero tolerance, there is tolerance. So it was like, a it just felt like a chance for everyone to pass the buck and like not look at their shortcomings of that, like, right, we're gonna attack, you know, all these social media platforms. And also the fact is, is that, you know, fact, reason, one reason I feel that why, you know, this has increased over this time is because fans aren't in stadiums. This, you know, there are, um, you know, stats, I think things that kick out and different surveys that show that, you know, racism like in stadiums has gone up. And then it's like when you take fans out of racism, because that root, that rooted mindset is still there, but people have found another way to express it and, it, and it's there. So I feel like I don't feel like it was tackling the actual problem. And like also the other big thing was like, I think it would have been way more powerful if you just said, like Terran Rhee originally, it was like indefinitely, not give it a clear time agree. frame totally where it's totally like. Agree. You're fine to like, yes, it's hurt your money in a small way, but actually all of you big, you know, <laughs> football clubs can afford to lose four days. Really, it should have been like, right, we're starting from here. Even to the end of the season, it's not that long, but that make, would make a much bigger statement than four days. You've given your social media their bank holiday weekend. Like to me, it just felt like half hearted. And then on the flip side, when you talk, you know, my dad is like a great voice of reason. He was like, yes, but, you know, that we had this whole conversation. Is any change good change? I was like, well, I don't know. I don't think. I, I think that's know. a really interesting point because to me, it just, it just, it showed that there wasn't any real deep thought that had gone into it. Right. So 
If they were to do something that had some proper serious coalition that we could see that was rooted in tackling and uh, being anti-racist, right, that, that wasn't just a knee-jerk, because it, it kind of, and I understand that position in, in terms of that this is something going along the lines of anti-racism, but really it's just, it feels very performative. Yes. And I actually uh, identify with you, um, Jordan, because I didn't, do any social media, although I didn't say that I was a part of it. I just consciously didn't engage with my social media platforms over that time. So I think this is about the lack of diversity at a senior and a board level within the brands, within within the organisations making the decisions about, right, we're going to do a social media boycott. If we had greater representation, greater ethnic diversity around the table, the conversation would be different people would be challenging it and saying, why, for what purpose? So I think there's something there around the lack of real thought leadership that goes in with, with trying to kind of solve some of these problems. And I think some of the solutions lie in coalition. They don't really lie in allyship, which is what I see this as. They lie in people coming together externally to sport, academic institutions, charities who have expertise in this, in this industry, like the Running Me Trust, who's the UK's leading race equality think tank, and then putting all of that thought leadership together and coming up with robust ways to tackle these issues. Well, can I come back on something though? Does that mean then that because I actually supported it, does that make me wrong in my thinking in that? Because that's the thing I'm slightly conscious of because I've got a slightly different viewpoint from Felicia and from the rest of you guys. And I'm, think, I'm sitting here thinking, goodness me, should I have not done this now? But that's what it is. It's that pressure. It's the pressure. It's the pressure you yeah. felt yeah, yeah, yeah. of not tweeting it. I took part in it because I do believe in my heart it is a step forward, even though I acknowledge it's not going to solve it because it's not. So I, then I sit here thinking, actually, was I right to, to well, take I, time? I, I was conscious, and maybe wrongly so, of the optics. Because mm. I've got a, a, a I've got 8,000 small compared to other people following, if at a time when everyone is trying to come up with a solution, Jordan Jarrett Bryan, the black sports broadcaster, <laughs> is going against it, yeah. that doesn't look good, yeah. do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Even no, though I don't true. believe in it, 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 it would look churlish as, as well. I so I just thought, uh, if there was something I had to tweet that was really important, I would have tweeted. But there was nothing that was so important that I thought, this can't wait till Tuesday. So I just thought, I'm not going to- I think it's gonna... your conscience. I felt like that was the, it's like what you felt comfortable about in your conscience to do. And like, if you would, you know, if someone wanted to challenge you about it, you would feel comfortable doing it. So I completely like, like you said, I think that, you, well, everyone's standing in a slightly different place. So from my perspective, I just kind of felt like... I'm talking the long thing. You're, you're not wrong for what you... Yeah, I know. I'm just talking the long thing. And I think for me, the answer's there. Yes. Why are we tiptoeing to the answer? Mm -hmm. Just walk to the answer. But let's reframe this a little bit because we're talking about black women and this is what happens. Like this, Black women's experience of racism is very, very different. Well, I wanted to come next to, 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 Good. to you Glad. because... I know that you tweeted recently um, uh, a screenshot of something that you got um, yeah. some racist abuse on, was it Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. Instagram, you, you posted it on, on Twitter. Yeah. I don't think we need to go into the kind of things that you, you, you got tweeted or, or messages, I'm sure we can all work that out. How regular is that? And what do you, th what do you think you gain by letting everybody else know yeah. what abuse you get? 
So, just for context, like I got the abuse during this blackout. <laughs> the irony, right? Or whatever, <laughs> the irony, right? And then um, they, I got a, it's just the most disgusting hate awful. speech that I'd actually ever received. Like, I get a lot of racist abuse. Like, I get the usual, your monkey, your this, your black this, your black that. But this was like talking, uh, I'm sorry to be so graphic, but this was like talking about raping me and like, you know, like sending me back to my country, calling me a disgusting monkey, things like that. Like, and then I was just like, you're doing this whilst the whole blackout's happening. You know the blackout's happening because I'm tweeting about the blackout and I'm saying that I'm doing the blackout. So you know, like, I'm doing the blackout and you want to come and discourage me. So that's why, that's when I said, all right, cool, I'm not doing this no more. And it was on the Saturday that I tweeted it out. I'm like, listen, you lot are doing this blackout. All right, what's next? Instagram over to you. I reported on Instagram how many times. Nothing was done until... Jeanette, Jeanette um, messaged Instagram for me and then they, were, they emailed me saying, oh, we've seen your post after they've taken my post down on Instagram because I, I brought light to it on Instagram. They took it down instantly. They said, oh, we've seen your post. Oh, sorry for taking it down. We're going to put it back up for you. Have you reported this situation? I said, I've reported it like four times. I'm sure I've reported it. Then they were like, oh, we haven't seen this report in Instagram. Um, can you report it again? How many times do I need to report it for you guys to see that I am being racially attacked? How many times is it going to take? And that's why I bought, that's why I, I gaslighted it on Twitter. I'm happy it got so much um, recognition on Twitter because I'm thinking, you lot are doing this blackout, but people like me, like, I, I live on social media. Like, I'm, I'm the social media generation. My content is social media. Like, I, I do YouTube. I'm on my, I'm really open with my Instagram. I'm open with my Twitter. I do football polls. I do, I do so much with football. And this is what I'm getting on a regular basis, but you lot want to do a blackout. What that, what's that going to do for me? Um, I don't know how, this is even a bad question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What abuse do you get more, sexism or racism? Oh God, they come at the same time, don't they? Yeah, they come at the same time. Like yeah. even when I'm live on YouTube, like um, you get stupid comments, like live on YouTube. You are trying to do what you want to do on a YouTube platform, and a YouTube I've platform. Had that, yeah, 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 the YouTube platform that I'm on, they'll get accumulate like four thousand people watching live and direct, and you will have racist people in the comments putting me down and I'm just there like mm, I've got to fight through this I've got to fight through this but what is YouTube doing to stop that you know I haven't seen nothing YouTube's doing oh report the situation and that makes that you annoyed because yeah. the onus is always on you it's always and on that me. was and that's what I find about frustrating about yeah. social media that's what I want them to tackle the onus should never up. be on that our shoulders I guess that's what the blackout was about right it's supposed to be, yeah. yeah. So let, let's, let's, let's end, ladies, on, on solutions. Solutions, Michelle. Let's try and finish on what we think needs to be done and who yeah. needs to be doing it. The issue for me with that, and I suppose I, I, I do kind of come back at those questions sometimes because of who's asking them. Because uh, a lot of the time, you know, I mean, a lot of the time I think black people, mixed people are exploited for their expertise yeah, and their say. lived experience and, and actually in a way that's, that doesn't help us. And so it's like, if you think about the oppressor and the oppressed, we as the oppressed people are having to come up and kind of solve do the, the problem and do the work for, the, for our oppressors, which you know, doesn't make any sense. So there's a part of me that always has a tussle with this as an activist. I mean, I'm, I'm quite old, a bit older than everybody on this panel. You know, I was working in football clubs 20 odd years ago at the community level. And so I've seen a lot. And for me, my journey has been one where I have 
worked in that equality and diversity space and then turned my back on it and been really clear that actually I don't believe in that work and I've become much more self-determinist in the work that I do in the world so when people say to me what's the solution I'm I put it back to them and say what do you think the solution is because for me I know where I have my biggest impact I've figured out my activist style right I'm a natural disruptor so I'll come in and I'll sit on a panel, I'll be your diversity tip box and I'll come in and you'll, be, you'll regret it mm. because I'll take this floor and I'll, I'll lay it out. And then I will work and support black and mixed women in the institutions that they find themselves in to navigate those spaces to thrive, not just survive because of the impressive environment that they're a part of. So I found that space and that's what I do. I rinse that out because the work that I do in the world is it has to be, I can't do all of all of the things to be all of the solution. And I do I work directly with athletes as well. And some of those footballers are developing, those WSL footballers, black and mixed footballers are just developing their consciousness around these issues and I talk to them about their activist style figure out what it is that your offering is to this solution and rinse that bit out and so when people talk to me about you know how do we d really sort this problem out it's it's doing it in a number of ways it's doing it at the grassroots level it's looking at recruitment and retention of black staff and mixed staff across the organization and it's making sure that issue, um, cases of racism and intersectional oppression are identified and that they are dealt with but above all it's about sharing power and having a commitment to rolling up your sleeves and getting honest with the problems hear it um ladies thank you very much uh, for joining me today um another important discussion i feel anyway about representation or the lack of of black women within women's football both on and off the pitch please subscribe to our channel here on blackademic youtube check us out on our website once again blackademic.com all the socials we're across across twitter instagram and facebook the blackademic till next time peace catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 